Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, I'm now joined by Professor Timmy Gambin, who is from the University of Malta and is a uh, um, head of uh, marine archaeology there. And gosh, Timmy, I mean, you've you've been doing some amazing stuff over the years, haven't you? Finding aircraft wrecks, now a Phoenician galley, um, but particularly interest to me, um, Olympus and of course HMS Urge. Well, we've got a systematic survey going around the islands, and uh, although we try and be cold scientists and say, you know, we want to map everything that there is on our seabed. When you come across something like Olympus and Urge, you know, two, two vessels that have such huge human stories, they can't help but uh, grab your attention. And, and, and perhaps I spend a little bit more time on, on, on vessels such as, you know, like these than I would do on, on other sites. But you know, one's allowed to have one's favourites, I, I suppose. Well, I, I think one's interest in history always boils down to human drama, doesn't it? I mean, you know, we're, we're obviously interested in, in why things happen and the way things happen, but ultimately it's, it's that human drama that grabs us, doesn't it? And, and human tragedy, of course. Just last week, we had uh, four members of uh, one of the uh, HMS Olympus victims. It's the first time we've had the Olympus uh, families reach out in person. And the, the incredible thing is that despite the passing of years and generations, there still is a degree of closure that uh, certain families you know, want and, mm. and, and, and search for. An incredible thing about, uh, about Marchant, one, who was uh, one of only five bodies to be, uh, to be recovered. Wow. They're buried in the Naval Cemetery uh, mm -hmm. in the south of the, uh, south of the island. And um, you know this was a huge this was a huge tragedy. There were crew members from three submarines, so there was the Olympus crew, and uh, remnants of the crews of P thirty nine, P thirty six. Marchant was going back to uh, to the UK. More, all of the hundred plus people got on board except for thirteen. So Olympus is, I mean, just a, that's an O class submarine. That's a an big o, o class. So that's a lot bigger than the U class, Unity class, which was. It's it's nearly twice as long. It's, yeah. it's eighty something meters. It's a monster. It's the yeah. first submarine designed uh, in the wake of World War One, mm -hmm. and two two of the O class submarines were actually destined for the Australian Navy, but mm -hmm. the uh, massive uh, financial. Uh, crisis of the late 20s happened and the Royal Navy ended up keeping them. Right. Olympus spent a lot of her time in the Far East, based in Hong Kong, on piracy patrols. Right. When this is in the 20s and 30s? In the 30s. In 30s, the 30s, yes. her crew was known as a happy crew. They were 
excellent at all sports, right? When it, you know, with this, this shooting, the, the thing they were weakest at, strangely enough, was uh, swimming and uh, water polo. So the actual <laughs> water sports was the was their weakness. Having said that. Uh, more than 10 survivors actually swam, you know, over five miles Blimey. in cold water in strong currents and made it to the shore. Wow. So, so, so it's were, five miles out from here, is it? It's approximately five miles out, but I, I would say that they probably swam uh, more than that because the current would have pushed them, pushed them away. Hmm. What we would like to do is some experimental archaeology is we'd like to get a strong swimmer today put them on the site of the Olympus with whatever clothing they would have had on at the time. Yes. We know that they took off their shoes because one of the last memories of, of the Olympus going down is, um, from one of the survivors, is sort of seeing a, a row of over a hundred pairs of shoes <laughs> on the deck, all neatly lined up. And the guy was thinking, sort of, we're in the midst of a tra tragedy, and yet we're still lining up our shoes. Uh, you know, so, uh, so just tell me very quickly about well, what is what what's the, what's what happened to Olympus then? Olympus, we need to we, the the story of Olympus really starts the night before the story of its loss. Yes, the night before on the sixth of May. Sixth uh, of May, nineteen forty-two. Yeah, so really. So the, this is the this is the, the time peak. where the peak of a time and the tenth flotilla is bugging out of Malta. They've been withdrawn, told to go to Alexandria. So one by one, they're all leaving their base on Manoel Island. And the tenth flotilla are going east to re-establish the, their base in Alexandria. Yes, Olympus leaves Malta to go west because they need the experienced crews of the U-class submarine, the P-36 and P-39, mm -hmm. to man the newly produced U-class submarines that are that are being sort of churned right. out in, in Britain. So the, the, the order of the of the Olympus was to leave, turn to port, turn, turn, turn west and then go via Gibraltar, obviously Gibraltar Straits yep. to, to, to Britain. The night before, so 6th May 1942, the um, the people on guard at uh, St. Telmo, Fort Ricasley, on the coastal uh, harbour fortifications, heard a murmuring noise and they alerted the, uh, the, the, the British uh, authorities and they sent out a Fairmile B ML-130, a motor launch 130, um, which was a lightly armed, uh, lightly armed vessel to inspect to inspect and, and see whether they could find out what these these noise these murmuring noises uh, mm. were, the 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 next thing that the uh, coastal guards witness is an exchange of fire from multiple directions towards one direction and then a fire, then an explosion, and ML one three zero never returns. Um, what we do know from subsequent uh, from the German records is that ML-130 apprehended three Schnell boats, including S-31, mm -hmm. which is now also on the seabed of Malta, and apprehended them quite literally a kilometer off the coast. That's how wow. close the Germans used to come to lay their mines. Wow. So, so these snowboats are just laying mines. They were coming very close in, in, in obviously total darkness. They were laying mines. Cutting uh, the engines, uh, chucking them out, uh, but also chugging, chugging at possibly just above idle yeah, speed, yeah, 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 and that's yeah. what that's what the uh, the guards heard. We know from German. I'm assuming Olympus would have picked it up on Asdek and all, all the rest of it, wouldn't it? Ah, uh, no, the, no, because they wouldn't. 
Does that make a difference? No. This is the night before. There are n- there are no submarines out. It's just this motor launch that has gone out. I see, I see, I see. Yeah. And we we know from German records that um, ML130 engaged these three German boats, fast boats, um, and nine the, the the captain and nine of the crew were taken prisoners of war. The Germans boarded ML-130, took maps and other documents, and right. possibly even weapons, then set the boat on fire. The four crew were missing. Hmm. Uh, this was obviously found out after the war because right. they were taken prisoners of war. And despite this, the Olympus was still given orders to leave the very next morning. Um, that sounds a little foolhardy, doesn't it? It does, and to me... Is that Simpson's decision? I... <sighs> I, I, I think that there is a lot of there is a lot of pressure to get these crew members back to back to Britain. There is also there's a lot of pressure coming from many different directions. So there is the pressure of the Germans possibly invading and you know and and, and pounding the island to bits. There's the pressure to get the crew back. Um, you don't know exactly what happened to the ML-130 because we, we only know that it was apprehended, yeah. you know, from from records after the war. Um, and hindsight is, is 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 a beautiful thing, of course. Um, and and when she left, um, we know that sort of under an hour into her journey, she uh, struck a mine. Uh, Almost certainly laid by one of these Schnellbu. I'm I'm absolutely certain. Mm. Why? Because the uh, German mines were smaller than Italian mines, and, right. the, and the mine damage that we discovered when we dived HMS Olympus is small. In fact, it almost looks not big enough to to sink such a such a huge submarine. Um, we do know that she stayed, you know, afloat for quite some time. They uh, 13 men were trapped on board because of where the explosion and of course they're operating at night so they're going to be on the surface and not going to be very early very early morning very early morning they were on the surface um and everybody got on the deck they tried to shoot their flares but the flare gun didn't work they tried to shoot rounds from the gun but the a round got stuck in the uh, chamber mm-hmm. they they were actually so desperate that they were trying to hammer cordite out of the shells in order to ignite this to attract attention from the garrison on a, on on Malta. Hmm. By the time they came up with this idea, the the, the ship started, the submarine started to list. They were all asked to get into the water, and you know, close to a hundred men started slowly but surely swimming towards uh, towards the shore. Jesus. But tradition has it, and, and I stand to be corrected, that seafarers are not very strong swimmers. Yeah, um, that is true. I think, and and I think it's also it's also linked to superstition. Mm. Um, and of 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 the close to one hundred men who got into the sea, there is there is a harrowing um, eyewitness account of um, people calling out to each other. You know, to make sure their friends were were afloat, right? And the answers kept on getting less and less and less because people were just letting go, and letting letting themselves go underwater. One guy was particularly unlucky, a, a chap by the name of Talbot. He made it to the shore, but when he stood up, his body just gave way to fatigue, and he died of a cardiac arrest 
oh. just as he made it to the shore. Oh, that's terrible. Um, there were, you know, over, over 10 survivors, uh, but, but it, it still is to this day the largest loss of submariner life in the Royal Navy history. In Royal Navy that's history. incredible. Yep. So, and it's five miles down that way. It is just off uh, Fort St. Elmo, where we're sitting now. Yeah, amazing. And what about Urge? He found Urge in 2019. And this is, you know, I've got to say, this is, this is a particular interest to me because um, a friend of mine is Jim Tomkinson, who is Tomkinson's grandson, I think. Um, and Francis Dickinson is another friend, of course, who is also the grandson. Who is also the grandson. So both Jim and Francis are, are, well, are grandsons of Tomkinson. And Tomkinson was second to Wanklin and, and, and urged second to Upholder in terms of yes, the most successful. Yes, I, and, 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 and they were two very, very, uh, they were close friends yes, as well. Yes. Um, there, were, there was the Upholder, there was the Edge, there was uh, the, the Polish submarine of, yes. as well, the, the, which was also very uh, successful. <laughs> And its skipper also very close to uh, Tomo and uh, and and Wanklin. The story of the Edge, for me personally, starts in. Uh, I'll just take a step back. Yeah, do we knew HMS Olympus was sunk in Maltese waters. Why? Because survivors made it of to course. the shore. They told the garrison that. Yep. They told the garrison that you know. A so you know, you know pretty much where to look. More or less where to look. You know, a generic area of where it was. Um, it was just a question of time until you know we surveyed that particular block. And how deep on the surface was it? It's uh, about 115 meters. It's in the same so zone quite of. Quite a of long edge. way, isn't no, it? No, no, it's 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 a long way down, um, which makes it all the more challenging for us when we when we go to explore and uh, and record it. With Edge, it's completely different because Edge, the people knew that something happened to Edge when she didn't turn up in Alexandria right. three days later. So, in reality, it could have been anywhere, anywhere between, you know, just outside Valletta, where we are now, to just outside Alexandria. And, and there's that lunatic who thinks it's off the coast of Tunisia, isn't there? I wouldn't even... Uh, I, I won't even give the time of day to, no. to, to that claim. <laughs> I, actually, I, I lie. When I saw that claim in 2015, and I saw the sonar image on which he was basing that claim, to be honest, without knowing anything about Edge, before I ever met Francis Dickinson, I, I, I already had very, very, very serious doubts about what that image was showing. And about the uh, research done into a claim based on such a loose yeah, no, no, such, it's but anyway nonsense. it was not so to speak on my radar of you know uh, ships that may or may not be so for example a vessel that is on our radars ml130 right we know that it was lost you know on mm -hmm. the 6th of may 1942 so we know that it's somewhere uh, of uh, of the, of Valletta in the area of Olympus and so on. So that is something that we actively, if we have a sonar target, we say, okay, if the measurements are right, if the dimensions are right, could this be ML one three zero? With Edge, this this notion didn't exist at all. I, it it just was not on on our radar. I. I was contacted by uh, Francis Dickinson, who is the grandson of uh, Commander Tomkinson, yep. uh, together with uh, Platon Alexiades, who's a, mm -hmm. a very, very, very uh, knowledgeable uh, naval historian, I must say. 
Um, and they asked me, you know, whether I had anything that looks like a submarine in my in, in my existing sonar data, which I did not. I, I looked and um, and therefore, you know, would I be interested to search for the submarine, which you know, obviously I, I was. Um, not only because I enjoy finding things on the seabed, it's the thing that, that, that I enjoy most, you know, as part of my job, but more so because of the human story. I was, mm. you know, so gripped by the fact that the daughter of the commander, who never knew her father, was still alive. Yes. Um, the fact that now I was made aware of this clay, crazy claim and its link to, uh, you know, the, a, a possible wreck in Maltese waters. So it took us three years from from initial sort of introduction to uh, to, to organizing logistics of a sonar search. We based our search. But but did, but did you have any leads at all that it might be close to Valletta? Look, the original the original naval reports were probably mined off Valletta. Right. Then uh, some Italian researchers. Um, Follow the lead from an Italian Air Force report, right. okay, that suggested that an Italian plane sunk a, a an English submarine off Libya. You know, a claim that was never verified verified then. So that created a bit of a bit of doubt. Obviously, this would have meant that uh, Tomo kind of disobeyed orders. Him and Which his is men. Un- unthinkable, really. Uh, no, no, absolutely. Especially when you see his track record and the track record of all the commanders of the Fighting Tent. They were, you know, exemplary to uh, to the very end. Yeah. Um, so what? So, so the question that you know, if, if we have no inkling of where where it could be, you still need a place to start. And uh, the place we started was we, we. But did you? Sorry to interrupt you. No, no, but, no, but no, did, no, you, no. did you ever? Did you ever sort of think? Was this, this? I'm intrigued, but this is needle in a haystack stuff. I mean, is it worth my time and effort to kind of look into this, where, where there's such a remote chance of finding it in the big scheme of things? Yes. <laughs> the simple answer, yes, I honestly did think that, and it's thanks to the perseverance of uh, Francis right. that he kind of made me come down from that stance. Um, and once, once sort of I backed down from that initial stance, um, then we had to come up with some kind of plan. We, we can't just sort of close our eyes, put a f- our finger on a nautical chart and say, okay, we're going to start here. Right. So, uh, together with Platon and Francis, we strategized a bit. We, we, we did some research, archival research, and came up with the maps of the, uh, with German maps of the Italian and German minefields. Mm-hmm. And going on what the original orders of uh, for Tomo were, you know, for the, for, for the urge to leave and then, you know, take a 70 degree uh, heading from the, the, the St. Elmo light, the lighthouse. So you can narrow it down a yeah, little Yes, so you can narrow it down a little. You kind of make it, you, 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 you overlay the, the minefield. Mm-hmm. But the first two or three days were, were, were tough. We were finding nothing. But I mean, when I say nothing, Nothing and generally off Malta, nearly every few square kilometers has a, at least a piece of a plane that got shot up in the right. air war, you know. But this was nothing. Then we moved to a, to- a different zone that was also part of the of the minefield, and um, she was there. 
she was there and you know amazing I, I, I really so, so when you're so, so what is the work you're doing you're not sort of crawling around in I mean I mean how how are you how are you picking that up at uh, in this stage it's a very it's a very good question my uh, my team we we operate an AUV an automated underwater vehicle which is I'm you know very proud to say a state-of-the-art robot yes. so you go out to sea we're on a ship you on pre, a boat. you pre-program this robot which looks like a torpedo very yes. much like a yes. torpedo let uh, it go from the side of the boat and yeah, it goes it dives it takes a gps reading and then it can work out where it is through a, gy a whole system of uh, <clears throat> you know a gyro compass and so on so it's got its own navigation system and you're on the boat and you're looking at monitors and stuff. you're looking at a monitor hoping praying to and just looking at the that, endless that, that, amounts that, of sea that the that a ping comes up because the only thing that you that that's telling you that the robot is still on track is this red dot that comes up every few minutes right so you plan we plan what's called a lawnmower pattern yes so quite literally you know you're sending this uh, robot up and down a pre-programmed path and well, uh, dare i ask timmy i mean is, is this an an expensive operation or is it once you've got the kit it kind of uh, the kit is extremely expensive but once you've got it i won't mention numbers because no, no, it's no, vulgar don't. but it's also very expensive to maintain it's just ah. come back from its three uh, factory maintenance right. uh, in in iceland and uh, but you know it it, it uh, it's there to be used right it's got to be used um we're lucky that as a university we 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 have this uh, we have this robot so our students get to use it and you know we make, oh, we make a lot of, of 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 incredible discoveries and this urge was was absolutely mind-blowing but uh, i think i need to become a student again <laughs> okay or join us uh, or join us on one of the expeditions well that would be amazing so i'd sign on the dotted line right away once once we recover the robot we drive back we rinse it and then we download the data and it's this is the apprehension time after seven hours right. of boredom watching a red dot or hoping for a red yeah, dot yeah. to appear you're at work you know you're sorry you're at the office you've got a specialized software suite and you're pulling up these sonar files and, and scrolling there could be anything you know from a torpedo from yep. world war one yeah. to a world war two submarine we found cold war planes in our sea you know wow. so uh, there's anything and, and everything quite, yes. quite literally um, and it was on, uh, you know, day three or day four that we uh, that we we we, we uh, located her on, on with with our sonar. And and how did you know it was her? So you knew it was a submarine, first of all. You knew it was yes. a Unity class submarine. And also, also, we were lucky that at that time there was a research vessel that we um, do a lot of work with, and right. they're ROV pilots. So an ROV is a remote operated vehicle. So yes. it's a robot with a cable. So right. so so it's not autonomous, uh, and the ROV has a uh, has has a camera. So so a sonar image will tell you. Look, you have a a plane. Maybe maybe because you can see it's got wings yes, it's got wings, and uh, maybe if, if the sonar image is good enough, you can say it's a twin-engined plane. Right, right, right. But you need an R. You need an eye on the prize. You need you need a right. camera to tell you if it's a Ju eighty eight or a Bf one one zero etc. So uh, this this um, coincidentally this uh, research vessel the, the the Hercules you know had the ROV pilot in. We I went out. We took Platon. We took uh, Francis out. We put the uh, we put the ROV in. Now here is a small catch. There are other submarines in our waters, but these were salvaged 
from the harbors where they were sunk, expensive items, costly items taken from them, such as the propellers, yes. then dumped out at sea in order to help uh, train ASDIC operators. So the crucial thing is... So it's a bit like um, using old tanks as target practices on the planes. It's the same principle. Absolutely. Keep in mind, you know, Malta was a NATO base up yeah, until 1979. And, uh, you, you know, ASDIC in 1960, you know, was at level one. And then ASDIC in 1975 was level 10. It was just a question of you still needed targets on the seabed to, uh, to, train, your, to train your operators. So the first thing I asked the ROV pilot to do was to go to the aft section because if we if the vessel had the propellers then we would be certain that this vessel was lost during uh, active operation because there's no way they would salvage uh, a vessel and then you know tow her out and dump her with all the expensive but but from your your um initial discovery of it you could tell it was almost certainly a unity class could you good from the shape of it the, no the image? no and this is one of the things that fooled me because with our sonar imagery we're able and and our specialized software we're able to measure our targets and this particular target measured no less than five meters less than what a U-class submarine was meant to measure. And, and soon I'll explain why. Yes. So it I looked like it looked like a submarine. Yeah. I was convinced it was a submarine, but I had my doubts as to whether it was urge. So we went to the stern, we saw propellers, and I was convinced, okay, now we have a submarine. That was, was sunk lost, in war. that was sunk in action. This was confirmed when we started moving forward and we came across the gun. And it was exactly the same gun that would have been, you know, um, put on a place on a U-class submarine. We kept on going forward towards the bow section. I was, you know, hoping to, to, to say, okay, maybe my sonar, you know, had a dip and, 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 and shortened the target or uh, there was a bug in the computer software. And I was hoping to see the, uh, the the bow of the ship and the bow of the submarine and the torpedo tubes to come up, you know, to help with the mm -hmm. final classification. And this is where we were we were blown away. The, the the bow of the submarine is is literally shorn off. Um, it's as though someone took a a, a saw and 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 just, just chopped it off. Chopped it off at the first bulkhead. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back shortly. See you in a moment. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Velux XC. 
Juvederm Velux XC is an ejectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Velux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. What happened to the submarine was it hit a mine, um, started to propel itself towards the seabed. It hit the seabed possibly at you know something like 45 degrees. And we do have submarines of Liguria and Italy, also in the Baltic, that are stuck in the sediment at 45 degrees. Hmm. And when this vessel hit the sediment at 45 degrees, it's a soft sediment, so, and, and remember the engines would have still been running and the pressure of the water pushing her down, she would have impacted the sediment, penetrated five meters, and because the mine hit in the bow area, she snapped at the first bulkhead. So the five meters that had fooled us are still in the sediments. Are actually just in front of her in the sediments, probably with four torpedoes still in the tubes. Wow. Wow. And then, so then, uh, uh, so when did you kind of twig this? This was when the, when the, the camera went Yeah, down. when we had the camera down and this was, you know, a real eureka moment. I, you know, I'm forever grateful that we were able to share this moment with Francis, who was mm. on board and, and Platon as well. Um, and we got some, you know, relatively decent footage. We had some, we went back and, and surveyed in very high resolution uh, sonar. So we got some great sonar images. And, you know, a few months later, and, and, and we delayed the announcement of its discovery to ensure that we could get all the legal, uh, legal protection, etc., in place. Um, and we we announced the, the discovery in uh, in in twenty November of twenty nineteen with the um, with the memorial planned and and unveiling of a memorial planned for um, April twenty twenty. Of course, we all know what happened in twenty twenty. Uh, you know, uh, an invisible you know a, a war against an invisible enemy. Two years of delays with COVID. But what we did manage to do in 2021, um, my my dive team was, you know, they, they these are incredible people who travel uh, on a volunteer basis. They they take time off their work yes. from Belgium, Finland, UK wow. to come and dive to come and help me explore these sites. So, uh, so you've dived on it? Yes, yes. Sir. In April in April 2021, we dived the site. We um, we recorded it in 3D. Uh, we have a f absolutely fantastic 3D photogrammetric model, which is now on 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 uh, our virtual museum. And um, one of the things that we discovered during the dives 
um, were the letters URGE on the port side of the conning tower. So any doubts that anybody could have had, you know, where, 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 where I had no doubts. Francis had no doubts. Um, you know, my friend Steve Prince, who's the head of the Naval Historical Branch, has no doubts. No, uh, but you know, this to me clinched it because now there were the letters U R G welded welded on on uh, on onto the side. So, I, I we believe that that was worth another uh, release. You know, to kind of the, any doubts, any lingering doubts are now are now dispelled through uh, to the discovery of uh, of the name. Um, Fast forward to literally two and a half weeks ago, many of the original team came back and we had to her again because we had to um, lay a, a memorial plaque. Mm. The submarine service of the Royal Navy provided us with a, an ensign which we dove down. We, we took, sorry, we dived God, and, 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 and took, took the ensign down uh, 115 meters and mm. opened it up in honor of the 44 submariners that lost their lives. Because um, there 32 on the crew, weren't there? There were 32, 32 on the crew, 12 passengers, including a, a And they're from another submarine, Another they? No, also Royal Navy personnel. There was also a journalist, which is, you know, something that I, I think uh, an intrepid historian like you could look into. <laughs> There's, you know, there are various question marks. I met his grandson, uh, an incredible guy, and, and he actually, in one of the... Uh, in one of the events related to the memorialization of Verge, he read the last letter written by his grandfather, this very well-known intrepid uh, uh, journalist, promising his wife, telling his wife, look, I'm, leave, I'm, I'm doing something tomorrow that's very dangerous. And I promise you, this is the last one. This is the last time I want to come home, you know, spend time with the kids. And it killed, you know, I, I couldn't hold back my tears, I have to admit, you know, I'm a big burly guy, but that just, <laughs> that, that just you know, made me, you know, crumble. Yeah, this is, this is just as meeting Francis's mother made me crumble, you know, the, the fact that this is a, mm. this is an 80, uh, an 82 year old, uh, sorry, an 80 year old woman who was brought up under the shadow of this, you know, father who was a hero, so very present yes, the no, no, and very it. absent at the same time. Tomkinson, you know, DSO, Ambar, Ambar. Exactly. Should, so, could have easily got a Victoria Cross. And then see, I think should have got a Victoria Cross. Well, it's interesting. I mean, let's just, let's just, just for a moment, let's just, just dwell on what Urge achieved. I mean, you know, it, it managed to hit the, um, the battleship Victoria of Veneto. Yes. Sunk, sunk a cruiser, the Giovanni Bandaniera. I mean, you know, those are two massive hits. And uh, sunk all manner of, of Axis shipping. The, the strange coincidence um, with regard to Edge is that uh, Giovanni delle Bandanera was actually discovered in the same year. What, 2019? Yep. By, by an Italian team, you know, obviously in Italian waters at a massive depth of 900 meters. Oh my but goodness I, me, that's but, probably but, deep. But, but, but I find that, you know, I it's mean, of, synergy course, there, a, isn't of it? course it's a coincidence, but the synergy is, is you, you cannot, you, you cannot can't escape even, it, can you? You cannot ignore it. Um, and also the, the interesting fact about Tomo is, you know, he's, submarines are pretty cramped spaces, even today by modern yes, standards. I know. He was six foot it. five. Was it? I hadn't realized he was yeah, so tall. He was six foot five, so, so a very, very, very sort of imposing, but a very imposing man. 
but dearly loved. And when you see photographs of him, the smile is just yeah. radiates through through those old black and white photos. Absolutely, absolutely mm. amazing guy. And as was Wanklin. I mean, the, you know, you you get that with Wanklin as well. Yeah, with the 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 tragedy of uh, of the urge story is we have all these letters. So the letters, you know, the letter written by uh, the letter written by the uh, the journalist who's leaving the letters written by uh, tomo to yes. his wife and they're Be very touching aren't they because they were leaving to set up bays in alexandria the letters that would have been replies to those sent by the men to the uk so those sent by the women or relatives from the uk to malta are actually still on the ship because they weren't going out on patrol. So you go out and you find your lovely box of love letters yes, back yes. at the base. You're taking them with you because you don't know if you're going back to Malta. So in a way, one side of the human story is lost. Yes. And one of the things we were discussing during the memorialization, so with you know Royal Navy Service pe personnel, um, I never served in the Navy, but I did work on a research vessel and I would be gone for, you know, for months at a time. And it's, it's strange because those leaving always think that they have the hard time, they're leaving their home. But in, in actual fact, over time, you realize that it's those left behind who have the hardest time. Yes. They need to take care of the children. They need to uh, make sure that, you know, it seems as though life is continuing as usual. Sure. Um, so it must have been very, 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 very tough. And the uncertainty. You know he's been lost at sea, but you don't know where. And you don't know none of the, of the, the 44 that were lost. None of the relatives would know where. There's no, there's no closure, is there? And Lost at sea is a terrible thing, really. And this is, this is, I think, something that uh, I think your audience would, would 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 sort of love to 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 grasp in the sense that my look, my wife's grandfather landed uh, on Juno Beach. Wow. So I, you know, if I want to, I if I want to or choose to, I can I can go there. I know I, he didn't die. There, but I can stand on the beach where, you know, he landed and, and kind of enjoy memory, enjoy his memory in that way. Um, if somebody was lost during D-Day, then in all probability you could visit his grave, you know, in, in, in Normandy. When somebody is lost at sea, where do you memorialize mm. the individual? If you don't know the location of the site, do you do it in his hometown with an empty grave? As there, there are quite a few in Britain. Uh, do you do it in, uh, in on the island where he was based, mm -hmm. but the ship could be, you know, 400 nautical miles away? So here we have um, an example of how an archaeological study, because even though it's an eight-year-old ship, it's still archaeology, um, how, how, how a maritime archaeological site actually now is, is elevated to a kind of higher degree of importance. I know, I'm, I'm, and I'm not trying to make it sound lofty, but when you personally witness, you know, close to 50 relatives throwing white lilies in, into oh, 44 white emotional. lilies, they now know 
the exact place where their loved one, where the vessel of their loved ones was lost. And, and that brings closure, even if eight years have passed since the incident. Yes, I, I, I can completely see that. And I always think one of what must be so frightening about, you know, being sunk on a, on a submarine, whether it's a German U-boat or whether it's a Unity-class boat like, um, like Urge, all those crew are going to know what their fate is for, for some time before they die. And and it's it's not the moment of death that's that's so scary. It's it's the contemplating the moment of death, isn't it? That's 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 the difficulty about how we deal with the end of our life. Especially if you're twenty or twenty one right. years old and you have the rest of your life in right. front of you because of you're contemplating. So Tomkinson is gonna know that this is it. And he's he's never going to see his daughter. Never going to see his daughter. You know, no. learn how to speak. And how in those last minutes do you do you deal with that? I mean, I just it's 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 too tragic for word, and it's and it's upsetting. And I can completely see why. I mean, crikey, I'd have, I'd have been blubbing too. I mean, particularly uh, when you're so you you're so emotionally involved in it because although it's not your family, you've become a great friend with Francis, obviously. No, but they've adopted me, and they've adopted they, you. They have adopted so me. So you are kind of family yes, in a way. Yes. But you've been there. You you've you've swum over. You've dived over urge. You've seen it. I actually with your own eyes. So so you've one, touched it, right? One of our policies is look no touch. So we we do you don't as, touch it at all as as much as possible. But the urge because it's a war grave, right? Yes, absolutely. The, the, but the urge was uh, I was too emotionally involved not to touch that wreck, and I touched the 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 name. I touched the E um, at the end of urge um, because it was just too much, too much for me, and. I think you're absolutely right about the tragedy of those last moments. But again, coming full circle to to the memorialization, um, it, it 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 kind of supports everything that we did. The you know the unveiling of the memorial, yes. the flower, you yeah. know the, the the wreaths and so on, because. You have to honor not not just their memory, but also their suffering. And you have to honor that, you know, and, and, and sort of that suffering that you said, that last moments, at least now has been recognized, not just by the families, because the location of the monument is where it is, on the ramparts of Fort St. Elmo, where well, quite literally hundreds of tourists pass by, you know, a visit every year, the, the, the Fort St. Elmo houses, uh, sorry, is home to the War Museum. Um, and now the memory of Edge and and her men and 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 the passengers that were lost on board is for is to be shared by everybody. Yeah, that's great. It's it's wonderful. I mean, it's brilliant what you've done. And you've also done lots of aircraft wrecks as well, of course. I think you're going to have to invite me back for that because if we start talking, <laughs> if we start talking we'll aircraft, stop. if we start talking aircraft, okay, that's a, that's a tantalising. Um, that's a tantalizing dangle in front of us that, to talk about aircraft losses. I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, I had my own piece of serendipity when I was um, first, literally the first thing I did when I was first got involved in Siege of Malta and the Malta's War was I went to the Imperial War Museum and um, I looked at these papers from one of the senior matrons up at Imtafa. And in amongst her papers was a letter from a mother of a, an airman who died. And 
the letter said, you know, thank you so much for taking the trouble to write, etc., etc. The last line was, last paragraph was, one day when this cruel war is over, I'm going to visit Malta and see where my boy is buried. And he was 19 years old. And anyway, I then was over in um, Malta and I was recounting the story to Ray Polidano over at... Um, the, the Aviation Museum. I said, come with me, come with me. I said, that's a bit of Alex Mackey's hurricane. I mean, it's just extraordinary. I mean, you know, of all yeah. the of all the we, we work very closely with uh, with with um, the aviation museum. I'm, I'm I've got a fantastic working relationship and friendship with David uh, Polidano. Yes, well, he does excellent work. And I mean, he's trying to get a glass of gladiator. Yes, that's right. And thanks to him. I, I mean, I can't say that I'm no aviation expert, but I can recognize, now I can recognize a, an RE-201 from a Mach 202, <laughs> which, you know, not many people can. No, no, no. But, but, but these I, are important distinctions. But, but uh, he can recognize something quite literally yeah. from a fragment because he's my go-to. Yes. Um, if, His knowledge is immense, isn't it? If, well, because, because he's been living it for such a long time and also because he's, he's restored these things. So he, he knows them so intimately. Look, we recently surveyed the hurricane and um, you know, I showed him a piece and he said, that's a hurricane radiator. And look, Jerry got him because there are six bullet holes in the radiator. And he no. actually saw from the photograph, recognized. Now, I've dived that side three, four times. I've seen this object three, four times. And I, you know, okay, sort of I've got to make sure that we're, you know, coming up safe and so on. But... He he's got that eye for detail, and and there's there, there are amazing amazing stories to uh, to tell with regard to the aviation archaeology on the seabed of of Malta and Gozo. Wow! Well, come on again. I'd be more than welcome. It's, Thank it's, it's you. an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Well, to me, what an amazing story. Um, thanks for joining me. Hello listeners, it's Anita Arnand here from the Goal Hanger sister podcast, Empire, which I host along with... Me, William Dalrymple, and we are here to tell you about our new series on the Founding Fathers, the men who made America. We wanted to look at the men who actually founded the country, who dreamt the dream, who wrote the words upon which a country would be born. What were they like? What made them do what they did? What did they actually believe in? And how did they come to play the role that they did in the American Revolution and the creation of America? What really interested me about this was the contradictions. I mean, we expect these men to be great figures. We've seen the portraits in the galleries. We, we know the faces from the banknotes, but they're deeply complex figures. But in that, and in that blend of contradiction and intellectual power and writing genius and curiosity and raw ability lies the nuance the complexity that allows us to understand them. And the United States is in many ways a reflection of them, their beliefs, their experiences. These are the men who wrote the Constitution. These are the men who created the federal system in every way. They are totally fundamental to what American politics looks like today. It all goes back to this extraordinary group of men. Yeah, and they have rip-roaring yarns as well, let me tell you. So if you want to know why America is the way it is and who the men were who made it, you can listen by searching Empire wherever you get your podcasts.